Hey everyone, I'm Anthony Gathers. And I'm Greg Weiss. And, and we, we are, are Good Dudes, dudes with, with Bad Hearts. hearts. No, literally. Our, Our hearts, hearts are broken. I have heart failure. And I have a transplant. We never thought we'd have heart problems. But we do. And they're real. And they suck. And that's why we're here. To talk to you about heart failure, heart attacks, and everything that comes with these conditions. Each week, we will bring you an episode featuring guests with heart issues. We're talking about doctors and health professionals. And we're talking about everyday people. Like you and I. Together, we'll share useful information. Providing useful lifestyle tips. And how to prepare heart-healthy meals. We'll tell our stories and hopefully make our, your hearts, better. Welcome to Change of Heart. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Change of Heart Podcast, Good Dudes with Bad Hearts. I'm your host, Anthony Gethers, and I'm with my co-host, Greg Weiss. That's right. And Greg, let's tell me what's happening today. Well, today we have an interview with author of The Unlikely Candidate, Kelvin Smith. It's an amazing journey of a heart transplant patient. And Kelvin has a, a really interesting story um, about his life as uh, being an athlete and also um, eventually a heart transplant recipient. And we're going to talk today about how um, he, along his journey, um, suffered and fought off with, um, you know, his, his internal strength and, and his fortitude and eventually, um, sought help to, to feel these symptoms that he was having. And, um, I'll let Kelvin start from, uh, let's start from the beginning. All right, Kelvin Smith. Give him a round of applause for Kelvin. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Great yeah, to guys, have thanks. you here. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, 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 he is an unlikely candidate. And um, let's start from the beginning. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, guys. Thanks. Um, you know, I know that we have a rookie. We have a rookie here, you know, Anthony. And, uh, Greg, I know, you're, I know you're a veteran being a heart transplant recipient. And we do want the rookie to stay a rookie because uh, yes. you, know, you want to keep your own organs as long as you can. As do I. Yeah, so you know, I, I heard he was a rookie before he even uh, admitted himself. And, um, <laughs> we were we were we were talking and and we were you know discussing things. And he was in Europe and and he came back from Europe and we're talking. And I heard this cough, and I'm like, get that checked, get that checked. And and his man pride kicked in, and he's like, I'm I'm okay. I thought I could handle that by myself. I thought I'd be totally fine. I was an idiot. As most Retired men. from touring mm -hmm. and rock star life mm -hmm. and Europe mm -hmm. was great. And I'm like, two days later, he's calling me and he's got this cough. And I'm like, get this checked out. Yep. He's like, uh, yeah, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And mm -hmm. four days later, it's uh, I'm admitting myself into an ER. Yeah, yeah. I was in the ER after that. Yeah, I put 40 pounds of water weight on. Yes. Um, I'll be looking pretty. All right, so let's get back to Kelvin. He is our rookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, yeah, like I said, we're going to keep him that way. Um, so as far as my story, um, 
Mine goes back to when I can remember it was 1998. And I can remember going to uh, visit a friend of mine, Seth Joyner from Spring Valley, actually uh, was playing for the Denver Broncos. Um, and so I went out there to visit him. And all of a sudden, I just couldn't breathe. Um, I, you know, of course, I thought it was maybe the altitude. Um, I think in the book, I say I thought it was even the chicken wings. Maybe I had too many chicken wings or, or something. I just all of a sudden just couldn't breathe. Uh, when I got back home, I went to my primary care. My primary care decided that it was time for me to go see, uh, you know, a cardiologist. Went to the cardiologist. The cardiologist went through a battery of tests. And he said, well, you know what? You may have a blocked artery. So end up going to Hackensack um, Medical Center and come to find out that the test, they said I had a blocked artery, but come to find out it was a false positive test. So now it's still the same symptom was, same symptom, shortness, shortness of breath, um, didn't have a cough of any, or anything yet. And it was concerning because you know, I had a car wash over in Havershorts at one point, and I can remember bending down to try to put armor all to help the guys put armor all on the on the tires, and it just felt like somebody was just literally choking me. Um, it was almost like my come to find out, I think my liver or or was enlarged, and because it was being starved, I, I learned this later that it was being starved of let's say blood flow. Uh, but the, the bottom line was, you know that there was something wrong with my heart. Didn't find this out until I left Rockland County and then they ended up in Columbia, Columbia Presbyterian. Uh, the doctor, they started doing battery tests and um, they still couldn't look, like really figure it out, but they knew that it wasn't the heart. Eventually in 2003, I was still having episodes. So we're going from 98 to 2003. I'm still going through episodes. I'm just, I'm on a tread, I'm walking, but I'm, right? So they end up being a pacemaker. So I'm thinking, okay, pacemaker, that's pretty um, intrusive. So that should, that should fix the problem. Mm -hmm. That didn't fix the problem. Um, so how long between, the, how long did you have uh, between the pacemaker and your next incident? Less than a year. Less than a year, I was, I was at the water company where, you know, that was my primary job, worked at the water company. I was a shift operator at that time, and I was on shift by myself, and I just felt like really, really like out of shape. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm just running around the water plant, just doing my testing and all. And I remember running up the stairs, and the next thing I knew, I was at the bottom of the stairs, upside down. And I noticed that my, my, my leg was broken, so it was hanging off. So really what happened was I went into a, uh, an arrhythmia. So my heart just went into a holding pattern. And somehow I was able to crawl up, call 911, and um, you know get to the emergency room and all. So that's when they upgraded me to um, a defibrillator. Uh, Greg, which I'm, you know, I know we've all heard of defibrillators. So... Really, I should have had that from the beginning. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if it was insurance, um, an insurance thing. Why they don't give you a defibrillator from the beginning, which also serves as a pacemaker. But um, the defibrillator, which they said at some point is going to go off, 
and it's not going to be fun. And, you know, that scared the, the, the daylights out of me. Um, what do you mean? It's going to feel like a horse kick in your chest. Mm -hmm. Well, take it back to where you said that um, when you were at the job and you had the heart, say you, you, your heart had a problem, you were on the staircase. Which was more painful, the breaking of the leg or the actual heart attack that you might have had in the process? Because uh, it sounds like one might have superseded the other. You said that you noticed that your leg was broken. And like, which one was much more painful? It sounds like the heart attack obviously dominated the leg break at that point. Um, well, I think the leg. I think the leg, um, due to nerves and all, and it's you know literally almost hanging at a forty-five degree, uh, forty-five degree angle. So now think of it. You know, I know, uh, you know, guys are big, strong guys, and uh, dragging yourself up and that leg dangling, and every time it dangles, the nerves. It's just the pain was just you know, unbelievable. Um, How much did you weigh at that time? The heart generally I, you don't feel, you feel the leg. Right. Um, at that time, two, probably about 205, 210, 205. You were dragging 205 pounds, trying to get 205 pounds up the stairs. Thankfully I, was a, thankfully, I was a gym rat, so I was able to, 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 to do that. All, and those, you can all do, those push up, all those pull up. Uh, and you can do whatever you really, you know, like I say that when somebody's stuck on a car, you just get strength from somewhere else. And uh, so, you know, maybe that helped as well. But, uh, yeah, so I was able to pull myself uh, up, call 911. And like you asked me, it was the leg. <laughs> it was the, putting that back in place. The leg was uh, just straight excruciating. Because uh, like, like Greg said, you know, the heart, you know, I, I didn't feel it because I went into the holding pattern. And the next thing I knew, you know, I, I felt like I didn't have a heart problem at that time. It, it, it knocks you out, the defibrillator. Straight, ridiculously knocks you out. Um, and what is what is tell you or prepare you as to what that knockout really is. Um, just no. uh, I had actually two. I had my first one lasted um, 11 years without going off. And I never really had that that issue in the. They left my wire in and replaced the battery on um, when when the battery had died. And on that second battery was when uh, I had a couple um, events that um, that's how, you know, like something happened and uh, you end up you you bring yourself back into uh, ER or or your cardiologist and they can actually tell you when where and how hard mm -hmm. your event was and yes. um you you you're there and you're you're in disbelief because they're pulling out like a ticker tape like a stock like an old-time stock reader and yep, they're going yep. oh okay on this date at this time oh yep, ooh. Yep. Ooh, yeah, yeah. you almost had it. You almost yep, bought the yep. big one. Yep, and, yep. and 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 you you're just in disbelief that you're even there, let alone talking about it in past tense. You're right. But um yeah, you don't feel good after one of these things. Okay. So you said that they should have actually given you the defibrillator first. That's how I felt. That's how I felt because you know, I, I, to my understanding, the pacemaker and the defibrillator does the same thing, except that the defibrillator Will, will serve as like a cardio version, like those paddles that, you know, when they say clear, that's like something internal in your body. That's why they call it your walking ICU. Because, you know, if the pacemaker is supposed to pace your heart and the defibrillator does the same thing, except for it can shock you back into your rhythm. 
I, I just didn't understand why you don't just go straight to the defibrillator. Greg, you want to share? I'm, I'm going to unanswer this question and okay, tell okay. you that, that the exact opposite happened to me. Mm -hmm. Is I got the defibrillator and I didn't get a pacemaker. And it, at least that's the way it was explained to me that because mm -hmm. of the condition that you're in at that time, and we probably had our procedures close in time. My first, my defibrillator was put in me in 2004. Mm -hmm. And... Wow. And Same. I didn't get the upgrade of a pacemaker literally until 2017. Wow. wow. So all I had was, at least to my knowledge, all I had was a defibrillator and I was medicated. And from what I understood that the pacemaker would actually regulate, you know, part of your heart beat so you didn't actually go into, um, you know, AFib. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't, you know, until the second time and my condition got worse. But um, that's when the the replacement, when they replaced the wire, they replaced the leads. That was a, um, I'm not going to go into my story, but that was an eight-hour surgery to remove the wire and replace it well, after, wow. um, you know, 13 years of having the same wire, which mm -hmm. they told me uh, was exposed um, shocking the lining of my heart and ready to break. So, wow, wow. oh, I don't know. So at, once, at one point when we were talking, you mentioned at some point in our past interview that you went to the gym and you had an experience that was very traumatic as far as uh, your defibrillator doing a clear poof and then throwing you off the treadmill. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, okay, so we can go right into that because, so that's 2004. Um, so, so there were just minor, there were just minor, let's say, I'd say episodes, not, you know, episodes, let's say gout, let's say, um, you know, something else. Um, I don't know if I had to, what, I, did I have a head thing? There were like little things leading up to, that particular moment that you speak of, Anthony, that I was in the gym again, cause I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling like a, like a, I don't know, just a, a deadbeat, like somebody that's used to going to the gym at least four or five times a week, uh, doing cardio. Uh, so now I'm feeling, let me get on the treadmill. Let me start off slow because now, and like they always say, it's, it's, it's much easier for the, for the athlete to, to fall out of shape than it is for the non-athlete. So now I want to try to get back some type of cardio. I got on the tread, excuse me, I got on the elliptical and it had to be maybe 90 seconds and I started to feel weird and I wasn't going fast. I was, I was not going fast at all. Um, and then just like the doctor explained, boom, that horse kick. And it just knocked me almost down to my knees. Whoa. Then, yeah. 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 It's a serious and right behind Boom. So it hit me twice. And I sat on the floor in the side of the gym. It didn't even matter who saw me at that point. I just noted that pain was severe and I just didn't want it to happen again. I needed to sit my butt down and just, and I just prayed. It didn't. I went to the church when I was able to get up. Well, first the, uh, the little old ladies, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you, didn't they? Yeah. The, uh, anyone was, you? Yeah, they, they were super cute. They said, uh, excuse me, Sonny, are, are, are you okay? 
I <laughs> said, so, yeah, it's just my pacemaker. I mean, my defibrillator firing off. So I just said that as a matter of fact, they were like, your defibrillator. And so from there, I went down to the St. Peter's Church outside, and I just prayed to God to say, whatever your plan is, if it's to, if it's to take me out, just, just take me out. Just don't take me out like that. I don't want to feel that pain ever again. You know, that was in November of 2007. Um, so now after that, Greg and Anthony, now all of a sudden, and you're right though, Greg, that ticker tape, that's the perfect way to explain it. When I went to the pacemaker doctor and he's like, wow, wow. You know, he's hitting me with a bunch of wows because he could see episodes or near hours. He, he saw the four events you ignored. Right. He can, he can literally it tell sounds you. sounds like he could have given you stock tips. <laughs> right. It, well, it's, yeah, it basically, you know, it, it, and it, it was when, you, it was when your stock was going to crash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something, something I'd like to address as a side issue is, and I, I, I just said it, but I'm going to go back to it. How many times did you think something was coming on and you just put it off that, that you knew something was coming up in a week. You had an event, you had a project that was due. You had something at your job that was pending. And you just said to yourself, I just got to get through this. I need to get past this. And then I know I can relax and feel better. Mm. And that doesn't happen. Sometimes we call that on this show, man pride. Mm -hmm. from, uh, our previous guest Randall and, mm -hmm. and how man pride can, can not help you be better because you feel obligated. And I, a lot of this you talk about in your book mm -hmm. about certain events. And I read your book from a transplant perspective, of course, and all I saw was myself and all these events that were like, well, I got to get on with my life. I got to get on with my life. I got to get on with my life. And the next thing you know, boom, your defibrillator goes off. Mm -hmm. Boom, I had a heart attack. Boom, uh, I need more serious care than what's happening in my day-to-day -day routine. Mm -hmm. And if you could talk about that, um, um, I know it's in the book, and I encourage everybody to, to, to get the book, whether you had a transplant or you didn't have a transplant. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a lot of lessons that, that Kelvin discusses that um, everybody should, should listen to because it's, a, uh, it's uh, like a guidebook, even though it was his events. But these things happen and could happen to anybody, especially anybody. if you've been notified that you have some kind of heart disease or failure pending. <clears throat> That's true. Um, no, Greg, you, you, you're perfectly um, right that, you know, putting off things because all you want, all you want to do, right, is to get better, right? And like the doctor probably, you know, told you, um, you don't even realize how sick, you know, you really, really, well, he said were. After, you know, you, you, I still hear it. <laughs> you you don't even know how sick you really really were, um, yeah, and 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 I can remember, again with the wife bringing bringing home the groceries and, you know, and I want to help her and I remember she wanted to move this couch, um, and I'm like, oh, you know, like everything was just too, uh, it was just too much, and I just felt, you know, felt like 
less than a man, to be honest with you. You know, my son, I think I wrote about my son that just got drafted by the Dolphins. It's supposed to be this joyous time, right? I'm, 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 I'm down at South Beach, you know, now we all know what South Beach is about. I can't even enjoy it. I'm stuck in a room with, you know, one of my good friends, Drew. We're stuck in a room and I'm just coming to visit my son, who's now an NFL player. I couldn't even enjoy it because I'm so, so talk about congestion. It, it was just the air conditioning. Oh my God. I just, I just couldn't, couldn't breathe um, cold air. That's it. And, and all you do is for it to go away. I speak of riding across that Bear Mountain Bridge and I, I can feel an episode coming on. You know, oh, wait, before you go to the Bear Mountain Bridge, talk about how um, uh, your son got signed. So yes. here, so here you are, you're congested in the hotel. Did your yep. family members have an idea of what was going on with you? Yeah, they did. And, you know, my, my, my wife, she'll say that um, I kept a lot to myself. And that's, that's again, when you talk about man pride, um, you just, uh, you, you, you literally want to wake up one day and not feel like you felt the day before. You know, you just want to, you know, wake up and like, hey, babe, I feel better. What do you want to do today? You do you want to move that couch? You know, we can move it upstairs, whatever you want to do. You know, you're, you're, you're praying on that. You're praying on that, that, you know, that yesterday was a dream. You know, and you're just trying to get through it. Um, but, you know, that obviously wasn't the, um, you know, that wasn't the deal. But that shaking off episodes, and, and I don't know if it was actually shaking it off, but you th I'm thinking of shaking it off because I feel like I'm about to faint. Driving over that bridge, I feel like I'm about to faint. So you're just, you're shaking it off and you're getting on the other side to say, woof, I dodged that one. I didn't go over okay, the bridge. Speaking of the, of the anxiety of driving across a bridge, did it start literally from afar when you saw the bridge off in the distance? Was Maybe. that kind of a thing where, or is it literally as you're, as you're getting past the toll and you're getting onto the bridge? It might, been, it might have been, it might have been anxiety, but it, probably a mixture, right? Probably a mixture, you know? Sure. Right. It's the mixture. All it's right. all building all right. up on you. And it's not that, mm -hmm. oh, I can't cross a bridge. It's this building. There's this, there's this aggravation that's starting and your mind starts wondering what's going on. Am I going to pull over? I'm not going to pull over. I'm just going to keep driving. I'm whatever it is. It's going away. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and you, as it grows in you, you, you're looking and now you're literally gripping your steering wheel at 10 and two. Absolutely, absolutely. And every inch of your car down the road is, am I going to feel better in a quarter mile? <laughs> That's a good way and to put it. I'm not, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I mean, these That's things have happened to me. And you ask yourself, is it my medication? Is it, am I having a side effect? Am I having a heart attack? And what is going on with me that I'm not normal right now? And in, in 10 minutes, it all goes away. And now you want to forget it ever happened. And, and, and that's one of the things that I've just been always, I always recollect on is, is as much as I've gone through, I want to forget every minute of it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and at the same time, I'm brought back into it. And you mean by by way of this podcast? I'm not going to thank Anthony for this, for, but for dragging um, you back into this podcast. But it, it's it, it, it. I realize that if I don't live with it, it's gonna it's gonna hurt me somewhere down the line. 
and that I have to keep uh, present of it, about where I've been, about where I'm going, about how I got here. And and it, one of the things about doing this podcast is it's really keeping me in check on a lot of things I really don't want to necessarily have to be concerned with. Mm-hmm. And I just I just wanted to go on going, hey, I want my life back. I want to just just pick up wherever it was I took off. And I just want to be the old happy me. And and like you said, every time I show up and they look at me and they go, you don't realize how sick you are. And mm-hmm. I go, but I don't I don't feel it. Right. Right. I don't right. feel it. And right. and it's it's, you know, these these people that we have on these transplant teams are uh, they're gifts from God. Absolutely. They absolutely. really are because their commitment to your health is, is incredible. Um, this is one of the things I, I asked my team, Kelvin, and I'm, I'm sure if you asked your team, you, you, you would get the, the same answer is I know that when I started, I had a, a literally a brand new transplant coordinator. Mm-hmm. And and she's amazing, and she's looking for perfect numbers all the time. And and I like I, I don't even know what they are. I don't even know how to get there. Right. But I was one of her first ten patients, and now I'm I know, three weeks will be three years, mm-hmm. and now she has over three hundred cases to follow mm-hmm. in this time. And it's like they, the work they do is so amazing and they're still concerned about you. Yeah. And even though the further out you get and you're, you're 10 years further than me mm-hmm. is, is they have to be on a thousand cases like you now down the road. Right. 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 So, so you figure the interview process Right, the interview process, um, which started probably in 2004, as far as once that doctor said to me, and that's the doctor that finally got it to where he knew that it was restrictive cardiomyopathy, you know, the hardening of the of the thickening of the um, the heart muscle. Uh, now you need to see, um, are you eligible to get on that transplant list? You know, the same list that I, I, I shed tears over once he said, one day you're going to have to get a heart transplant to, to get any type of normalcy in your life. You're going to have to get a heart transplant. So the interview process that you have to go through and then to hear, uh, to hear of the whoever's in charge say, no, he's not sick enough. Uh, for me, I'm oh, well, okay, I'm confused now. Someone actually, someone actually, t- someone actually told you that you, they actually said to you that you're not sick enough to get a heart transplant. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Meanwhile, I'm I'm fainting, I'm I'm falling out, defibrillators going off and all. Yeah, but how do they determine that? Like, how do you look in? Oh, you look at someone go, a lot of that has changed. A lot okay. of well, well, let me let me just finish my point first. So, he's, like, do you have to literally practically be dead? Where they finally say to you, oh, you know something. <clears throat> He's, he's he's one breath he's one breath shy of like not living. So now we can give him now we can give him a new heart. Right, right. He just gets he has to get down to a half a breath. Um, no, I. I <laughs> it's also luck because if if you're not at that point, either in a doctor's office or in a hospital, you are SOL. And is it luck or is it political? Sometimes, Greg. No, I don't think it's political because. Yeah, right. Because these people want the best for everybody. But what happens a lot of times is you're either 
not at a location. You're not in a doctor's office. You're not, you're either, you're, you're on a train commuting. You're in your car on a road trip. You're on a business trip. The last place you are is near medical help. And depending upon the severity of your incident is what's going to determine your outcome. Um, I was lucky enough to live near a hospital. I was lucky enough to live near an urgent care. I was lucky enough to have insurance. Um, I mean, Kelvin will tell you because when, when, when Kelvin got admitted, there were only three stages of uh, acceptance for a transplant. There was the, you're going to die right now. You're going to die in a month. Or if we medicate you, you're not going to die. And those were the three levels. It was a 1A, a 1B, and a 2. Right, right. And and back then, that's all it was. And Mm. 10 years later, 15 years later, when, when I was in this situation, the first problem I had was that my heart wasn't even going to make surgery to get a heart pump, mm-hmm. let alone talk about a transplant. And what had happened, and I'm sure it's pretty similar, you're sitting – because he, he, in your book, you talk about literally your three-month adventure, which mm-hmm. I, when I was in, I knew people that were in this situation uh, – in my case, I was fortunate enough to get a LVAD or a heart pump in between um, um, dying and getting a transplant. So to get an LVAD, in, I'm sure it's similar in your case, every day there were a different group of doctors asking you questions. And they are measuring your positive outlook on life. Mm-hmm. And they want to mm-hmm. know that are you psychologically sure. capable of accepting this gift. And, and in my case, before even the transplant, it was the heart pump. And these people are coming in and they're going, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I go, you don't look like you touch patients. What do you do? Well, I'm evaluating your blah, 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 blah. And I'm a specialist in this field. And, 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 and that's when you realize that now you're the guinea pig in the cage. Oh, oh. you know, yeah, I, I know, you know, and, <laughs> And, and, but you, you were there longer than I was. And, and my problem was, and I'll use your term, my heart pickled to a point where I didn't even have enough platelets to survive the pump surgery. They had to put a first pump in me to get me into surgery, to get another pump. Mm -hmm. You say your heart pickled. Yes. Well, let me ask you this. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Craig. So you said your heart pickled. Did I say pickled? Did I? Um, pickled. You could have said raisins. You could have said crumbled. He <laughs> said pickled because pickled. the heart was literally, it, it, it was literally um, calcifying mm. itself. Wow. So it couldn't pump. Mm. And, and brittle, you were brittle. lucky enough you were lucky enough after all the events that I read about that your doctor made the call to get you admitted. 
right and and not only admitted you got admitted into the right place at the right time with the yeah. right yeah. bunch of specialists <clears throat> right. that were going right. to be able to monitor you in house mm -hmm. for up to 90 days right right Right, right. I want right, to, right. I, I want you to talk about this. When you got admitted, uh -huh. and it was still winter, yeah, and you looked out your hospital window, mm -hmm. and they had mentioned how beautiful the garden was going to be in the spring. <laughs> Tell me how you felt. <laughs> Which I thought was weird, you know, because I was, um, you know, I was, I was at, if I remember correctly, Five Garden South. That means that. You know, you were able to out. You were able to look out your window at the garden, but there was probably about you know about a foot, about a foot of snow when I came in. Um, so this whole garden south, I couldn't fathom like what a garden looked like. Still letting you know so that you're, you're going to be in for a long ride. Yeah. So and at the time, you have no clue. You you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. Going in and, and and don't forget when they say that you're when they say that you're sick, right? They're like, you know, and then they, you hear the whispers, ah, you know, and yeah, what are they talking about? So they're really talking about like, this guy is, uh, this guy's is, is pretty bad. Um, but, but Greg, as you know, uh, when you start to see things, when you physically start to see things, it's one thing to feel some stuff, but when you start to see all of a sudden these skinny, these skinny ankles all of a sudden are huge. I'm like, wow, these, this is the fluid that they talk about. Yeah. Now, I, I call them I call them Fed Flintstone feet. Oh my God! Or honey, well, in my case, I call them the honey boo. <laughs> the honey boo. You know, I it's, it's 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 because okay, as we know, if we go <clears throat> that the the infamous clearing your throat, clearing your throat, clearing clearing your throat. Um, if you're consistently doing that, you know, and you're a heart patient, a lot of that has to do with that fluid that's backed up. A lot of that has to do with, okay, your heart is not pumping properly. Now, all of a sudden, that, that fluid, if you're on your feet for too long, now your feet are swelling. So when I'm in Miami, South Beach, <clears throat> everybody's hanging, but I'm, I'm in the hotel room with my, my feet elevated because it's hot out. I don't want to go out and look like sausage feet, you know, out there with my kid. So, you know, so there's, there's a lot, but come january again come january is when my feet started to swell a lot i i talked about working the most overtime at my job i just didn't I, i'm trying to take my mind off of being man pride yeah i'm just trying to take my mind this man pride and they're saying that there's nothing that we can do right now because you just got to go through it you just got to go through it but even with medication you couldn't actually drain the fluid they said to me there's a part there's a part i can't remember right now, but maybe it's a couple of years before that, they said by slowing, by lessening your salt intake, you know, that would be better for you. I cut salt totally out. I started to lose weight at a rapid pace. Now the cramps that started to come- Which we all know is not the best for you. No, because there's a balance. This the whole sodium exactly. potassium, there's a balance. But I'm thinking if I can stop taking salt, right? then I can fix this heart. I can fix the heart myself. If I could just cut out salt, you know, I'm making, I'm making dinner um, for the wife and my daughter. I'm cooking theirs regular cause they have regular hearts, 
but I'm not using any, any salt. That didn't work. But you're, you're also treating it as if you're changing your air filter in your car. Right. <laughs> Which, of course, but, is not the reality. Right, right. Because, okay, so I give up. I know. I'm super sick. Okay. But man price says, that, well, maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can fix it. <laughs> so, right. So, so oh, going in. I, right. That's going a whole other. January. I have a whole show to talk about this. I'm sure. <laughs> going <laughs> going into January, January um, is when it really started to get bad. And I can remember coming up those stairs at the job and um, the guy who brought me into the heart, excuse me, to the water department in 90, excuse me, in 88, 1988, you know, was my boss. And I can remember him always saying, you okay? You okay, man? As I'm walking up those stairs, those dreaded stairs, because I can't breathe, he's saying, you okay? So that October prior, he died of, uh, you know, he died of uh, cancer, right? Um, I forgot which yeah, guy. guy that asked you, the guy that was asking you if you're okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. First. He was asking me and he was saying, you know, what is a, what is a CAT scan like? Because I'm super claustrophobic. So I'm explaining to him and all. And, um, you know, he ended up passing away quickly. It sounds like he let man product in the way of his situation. Which, which we He's do. He's asking you about it. Which we do. Yeah. But I remember him. Yeah. I remember coaching him up on CAT scans and all that stuff. And before you know it, he didn't have a, he didn't have a chance nor an option because he had cancer. So come January of 2008, now I'm getting bad. Go to February, that game, the, the, the Giants versus the Patriots. And I can remember now I'm, I'm relegated to sleeping downstairs because of the congestion. It's just I'm keeping everybody up, I feel. So I sleep downstairs. I go upstairs. I go upstairs. My wife allowed me to sleep in the bed. She slept downstairs that night. And I... I Defibrillator fired. <laughs> the ticker tape says that it fired numerous times, and um, I was on the way out. The doctor still doesn't know how I got up, um, but you know, I woke up incontinent. Everything. I was just done. I just like I just knew it was over, and uh, I said, "Look," told the wife. I said, uh, "We got to go," and of course, man pride and stupidity. I had to watch the game. So you had to watch the Giants. Well, we gotta watch the Giants and the Patriots. Super Bowl Sunday. I can't, you know, just hold on a second. Let me get this right. He said to you, look, honey, you gotta get out of here. You know, there's some serious crap happening. But before I go, I, I gotta make my watch the game. I gotta make my special hot wings and we'll 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 go in the morning. Special hot wings. <laughs> Dumb. It's like yeah, talking about like adding fuel to the fire. Oh my God! But you know what? I said, "Hey, if I'm going out, this is how I'm going out. I'm going out with these wings." I would tell you that in 2004, when I was undiagnosed, unmedicated, untreated, living on uh, Man Pride, being um, you know a, a performer, that I knew that if I was going to go out, I want to go out literally on stage. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have to play, I gotta, you know, be around my, my community and, and, and regardless of which music's going to heal me and, and I'm going to go do this. 
And regardless of how I felt, and I was having heartburn that was like, I didn't know heartburn meant heart attack. Mm. And, uh, you know, at, 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 at that point of, of my failure, but yeah, I mean, should I go get help? Sure. I got a gig tonight. It doesn't matter. Mm. I actually had two gigs that night mm. and, um, played six sets in heart failure. And, you know, I, it, can I make it on the field? Yeah. Can I be productive? Yeah. Can I help win the game? Yeah. And, and at the end of it, you know, I'm not going to make, uh, you know, the next game. And so I, I, I understand, I understand what you're saying. Um, moving yeah. along, talking about um, all these things, let's talk about the day you got admitted and how things Ooh. changed into this um i'm you know what i'm gonna call it i'm gonna call it the point of time that didn't exist <coughs> that you're in this you're in this suspended animation of being um what was going to be a long-term hospital patient mm -hmm. i mean you know talk about how like your schedule changed talk about how you know your routine went from uh you have co-workers you have a job to Hello, nurse. What are we doing today? Why am I up at 5 a.m. getting weighed? Why is my food being limited to this to this crap I don't want to eat? What is happening to me? And why is nothing going on? Hurry up and wait. Hurry yeah. up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. That's going into that emergency room because, you know, went into the emergency room um, and I think I might have said, I might have, you know, gave the analogy of like a Saigon type, you know, no disrespect to, you know, that. But it was, it was just, it was just crazy. I, I don't know if it was a bad night or, or what, but it was just ridiculous. Now you got to wait for a bed, right? Because the doctor said, you're not leaving here until a couple of things happen. The best thing is to get a heart transplant, right? So once you get out of there, out of the emergency room and you get upstairs. So there's a, there's a sense of relief there, right? But you also know that it's going to, you're probably going to be there a while, right? So the bells and the whistles, the ding dong, ding ding, 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 is just, it's just nerve wracking. But, you know, this, this is your new life. That's my new life. Um, How do you adjust to that psychologically? Your you know, new life? For, for, for me, for me, I eventually put myself. <laughs> I like you know, a great one. Does Greg need to go? Um, for me, I've never been to prison, but I always heard of the prisoners talking about you got to put yourself out of the prison, right? So I just put myself outside and okay. keep, and I lived vicariously through the people that were coming to see me. Um, mm -hmm. If they were talking about, you know, about this guy, he's still coaching about this person doing this, then, you know, I would just literally like, you know, like get on their level and try to think about what their lives were because my life was, um, it was just daily bells and whistles getting pricked and stuck and, and all these things and listening to the nurses. Um, the vast majority were super, super sensitive to, sick boy let's say and but some of them it was just they would just talk about their lives and what they did last night and not that their lives should change but you know some of them were you know, a little insensitive i can i think i spoke about the lady who 
you know, with those hills coming down the hallway at 5 a.m. And you, you're trying all your, you can to get some sleep. And then she comes in and just, there's no warning, just flick the light on. And, you know, she's got the perfume on. Wow. Like she just came from the club. <laughs> so, but, but that's her life, you know. But to, to, to her, I felt I was just sick boy. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, but the vast majority were good. Um, but those bells and whistles, man. And don't forget, at I went in at 205, 205 pounds. Mm -hmm. Within less than two days, I was 165 pounds, I think, 163. Wait, um, say it again. So you, went in, you went in at 205. 205 pounds. And in less than two days, I dropped my weight down to 163. That's how much congestion. That's how much fluid. That's how much stuff was on my heart. That's that's why. And guess what? All of a sudden, there's no coughing. There's no you know because it was everything was just being totally condensed to just inside my chest. And now all of a sudden, you know, I felt I felt better. So take it back to where you were when you said you felt like you were in prison. So. Like some of the nurses, some of the, most of the nurses, most of the nurses, nurses, excuse me, were like really uh, like super professional, um, you know, uh, sympathetic to, you know, what 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 you're going through and all. Um, you know, then there was a couple that you know talk about the club, and they're right outside the right outside the door to talk about things that. You know, they actually put me in the club because now I'm, I'm, I'm laying there for a while and it's interesting to me, but I'm just like, wow, this is my nurse. Uh, but but it was still, again, you asked. Did you think it was a bit selfish that they were talking about that? And thought of you knowing that you're laying there and there's nothing you can possibly do in your life. You kind of like, you kind of stuck there. Yeah, yeah, because you, I guess you can't expect, um, you know, everyone to be on their A game. I mean, that's that's their profession. Probably they should. Their bedside manner should be, uh, you know, always super good. This is what they do. And I say to 90% of them, that's what, you know, they were really, really good at it, you know. Um, sometimes but, sometimes it's yeah. procedure over patient. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and again, they're coming in there to do their 12 hours. You know, I get that. I'm probably going to be there tomorrow if I'm lucky. Uh, you know, so I had fun with it. You know, there were some, you know, I have still, I'm sure you do too, Greg, that we have friends. You've developed like lifelong friends behind this, um, mm -hmm. whether we Facebook friends or, you know, the mm -hmm. one guy who was um, a phlebotomist or whatever. He was, he was like really, really good with me explaining this whole heart transplant thing from people that he knew that came in that had heart transplants. And mm -hmm. he recommended that I get into these support groups. Mm -hmm. I really didn't want to speak to anyone in, in, in a group setting. Um, the support groups changed my entire outlook. So that was like the Alcoholics Anonymous for people with heart uh, Yeah. People that, people that breathe like you, bleed like you. That's, mm -hmm. These are people, the stories are real. Um, Greg, you're saying what about three years ago? Uh, so I'm in the support groups, and and are you, know, you still? Again, I'm a hundred. Are you still in huh? support groups? Are you still in support? I have, groups? I have it, I have it, I have it. But that's something that, like, if someone calls me to to speak or to share, I'm not a, mm -hmm. you know, I'm definitely not oblivious to going back. 
you know, in mm -hmm. fact, that's not a bad idea. I, you know, I probably need to. I would go with you if you, know. you if you invited me. Okay, okay. Let's let's let's, let's put that. I on would the, do uh, that. I would that do that. The, uh, and, and I'm not a group person. I'm a bass player. I'm a lone wolf. Uh, <laughs> we're we're lone know, wolf bass players. Like Vasco like, da Gamma looking yeah. for the uh, tip of the earth. Yeah. yeah. You know. nah, let's, let's, let's think that one. Let's think about that one, Greg. Um, but, you know, my wife to sit there because I'm doing all the research. And as you, you know, you guys know, you know, Google and all sometimes is really not your best friend. Because um, mm -hmm. if that's the case, then we should have been dead, you know, going off of what they say you know the the you know i guess uh you know they got to put a number on it and you know that's where your average comes in you know whatever but support groups look across the the, the, the um you know the group and to see this man you know muscular guy and all and he says that he had a heart transplant two years ago now at this point i can't even i can't even fathom having muscles again because I'm 163 pounds, I feel weak. I can't see getting strong. I feel like I'm maybe if I'm lucky, get a heart and be able to go through life for a while. Um, but I don't feel like I'll ever be the strong me ever again. So when he spoke, and I and I and I really listened, and that made me raise my hand to say, "Hey, wait a minute! You said you had a heart transplant two years ago." He said, "Yeah." I said. Did you look like that? He said, no, I was, you know, I was, I was probably looking like you. I said, so you're saying there's a possibility that I can get back to me? He said, absolutely, you will. Absolutely. That changed my whole thought process that, you know, a heart can just get us back to some form of a baseline. Well, you would think so because it's a muscle. I mean, the heart is a muscle. And the fact that you are muscular, you're muscular, your heart, your heart, the muscle, We'll, we'll get, get better and improve. You too will then get muscles or get your muscles back at least. Or some so the difference that. between uh, all the other organs and uh, of a transplant, whether it's liver, or kidney, or lungs, and the heart, because the heart is the only one that's a muscle, and and all the other organs are tissue, and um, you know you get one shot at that. Right, right. And so, Anthony, you figure, you figure with all the knowledge that you you're gaining now, right? This is knowledge that I didn't have. This is knowledge. I don't know if Greg had it. Maybe he did, but I, I don't um, know these things. I'm listening you know. to people who are uh, who've been in it now. Um, you know these support groups, and I'm just listening and I'm listening. I'm I'm listening to a, a man and his and his significant other. Just you know, he's quoting Bible scriptures and all, and he was the most negative person ever about transplants. He was just so super negative, and I just couldn't understand. Like, man, we're all in this together. Why are you so negative? And just lo and behold, when he did get the call, his body didn't take. Oh, wow. his body didn't take. Now, you can take what you need out of that, but I think going forward, like being positive, having a positive outlook, um, you know, that's just going to breed, I think, the success of the transplant. That's just my opinion, though. You know, so, his, heart, think, his heart didn't take, but he lived. No. Oh no! The lady mm. that his significant other came back to a support. Oh. So he had like an antibody issue or something. It was almost there. like it was too. It was almost like it was too big. It was almost like it was too big, which, which surprised everyone. Because, yeah. Can you make 
Well, again, this might be a little bit of an odd question. Now, because obviously I'm, I'm looking at this. Um, if, let's, say a let's say a transplant, I'm, I'll just give you a quick example here. Let's say a transplant fails within the first um, person comes in there. And like you mentioned, the person had a very negative outlook on life. And obviously, the heart didn't work out well for him, so he ended up dying. So I also wonder, now, Greg, you can tell me, or you can tell me, um, Jillian, can they take the heart back? That, I, mean, that, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if that's ever happened. You want to hear the fast answer? The sure. fast answer is they can if okay. they want to. Hmm. They prep two people. They prep two people when you go in. That's for sure. Oh, wow. They prep two people. A person A and person B? So, oh, wow. So yeah, well, I never saw the B person. Okay. Well, and and I was going to ask you this is because you were in the hospital when mm. they basically walked in the door and said, your heart is here. You're getting a transplant. <laughs> you were in the hospital. And the just in my case, I had my heart pump for 11 months and mm. I was getting back into a lifestyle, but I'm wearing a bag of batteries and I'm plugging in at night and, you know, I, yeah, they're watching my INR. So my heart pump doesn't, you know, rust out or get my blood get too thin or too thick and, and clog. And you take every phone call, you take every spam call, you take every sales call because you don't know who's calling you from where. And yeah. I, I, I did get that call and the call came at like eight 30 in the morning. And, um, I, I, it was just my office and I, I, I was going, is, 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 is this it? And they're like, yes, this is your call. And, um, you know, it, 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 it all, all of a sudden it was like, you know, it was NFL kickoff. All of a sudden it was like game on, but game you, on. you were in there already. Mm -hmm. You already had the mm -hmm. waiting for nothing mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And, and it, when it kicked in, what was that like? Like you, did you like, it went from, well, something's going to happen someday. They didn't say, well, in a week, you know, get ready for this. It was, you're going in, in 10 hours. <laughs> you're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, that might be chapter 16, the call. Cause that's yes. a big one. That's, that's, yes. <laughs> that's, because, that's a big because one. You were in the hospital. Yes. You were in the hospital and like you got the call, but mm -hmm. you were, or you were lucky enough to actually be there. Yeah. Yeah. So you have around five or six o'clock, the doctors come and they do their rounds for the evening. My doctor who came in, she checked me and everything. And, and she didn't say anything about, about anything. It's just a regular night before she got off work, come check her patients. And I, and I remember when she left, I took a phone call from my, um, one of my workers, my coworkers actually. And uh, just talking about craziness. The, 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 nurse, the nurse came in and she said, your doctor's trying to get a hold of you. And I was like, my doctor was just here. So I don't know what she's trying to get a hold of you now. And so I hung up with my coworker. <clears throat> so she called. And she says, Kelvin, just to let you know, when I walked in your room, I knew, but you, you have, we have a heart for you. I'm like, what? <laughs> you were just, just here. 
you were just yeah, here. Like you could have like maybe amazing. tipped me off. Yeah. You know? So, right. so now no, she's I, like, I, I, I want to hear this. She's, she's like, like, are you okay? okay? She's like, you okay? It's been three months. Mm -hmm. Right? Now the birds are chirping. Now the the garden is actually the garden. And uh, she's like, yeah, this should be a happy time for you. She says, start making your phone calls. You know, and I'm like, okay. And eventually when you hang up, now you got to like really go through this. You have to, wow. It's game, game on, as you said. Um, and I remember going in the bathroom before I even called the wife. I went in the bathroom and just tears started rolling down my face because now mm -hmm. something different is getting ready to take place in my life. Mm -hmm. Something incredibly different is going to take place. And um, I remember, you know, calling the wife and um, I wrote that she was in a beauty salon. I said, look, I'm going to tell you something, but you got to take, take it easy. Keep calm. Don't just relax. I said, the heart got the call. She screams and everybody in the beauty salon is like, oh, what the hell? So it's a happy time. So now you go from 6.30 at night. Now you're starting to get prepped at 9, 9.30. They finally take you down about midnight. And then the surgery is at about 3. My surgery was 3 to 7. 3 to 7, so it was 4 hours. And they just try to keep you asleep. You're lucky. Yep. Wow. So now, now speaking of the surgery and the, and, the, and the transplant, did you did you know or where it came from? I mean, do they do they do a whole introduction saying to you, this person was so no. was this not at that time? No, not no, at that no, time. Not at that time. Are, because it's so, not in you, and they don't know until it's over. Oh, they, yeah. they don't know yeah. until it's over. I know. Well, they know who they right. they've they, they've known for days. They've been right. looking for this for you for weeks and maybe months. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I'll interject with was mm -hmm. uh, Kelvin's condition might not have been optimal to get surgery, and they might have passed on three or four uh, potential calls. donors because he might not have been able to actually survive the surgery if they had gotten him a heart, at least in my case. That's mm -hmm. why I had the heart pump for at least for 11 months because I wasn't going to be able to survive the pump surgery, let alone a transplant surgery. Um, and, and, and just getting back to what Kelvin said before was that, was that they watch you. Every minute, every heart pumping of this new heart and and what happens is when they're looking for infection and rejection, um, it's it's it, they're on it. I mean, they start hitting you with steroids. Now, from what I read in the book, Kelvin had no infection, no rejection. Is that true? That is that certainly true. Definitely true. Okay, I'll say it again. Lucky, lucky, yeah. lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what, are, what, are what are the chances, chances of break? What are the chances of having infections with heart transplants? Very high. Very high, meaning? Uh, they're looking for it because they just put mismatched DNA into your body that begins instantly rejecting your body as the host, and your body starts rejecting it as the recipient mm. and uh, as, as, as the donor organ. And, and in my case, when I woke up the next day, I was notified that, 
that I did have both uh, a mild infection and some rejection. And mm. that's when that's when the tables change and now they hit you with steroids okay. and they hit you with antibiotics. And I mean, it's not like they don't not see it coming. You know, the way my doctor explains it to me is, the, you know, the building you're in, the room you're in, we've been handling this for 60 years mm. and we have more drugs and more medications. And if they don't work, we have more drugs and more medications. Wow. And that's why in, in it's when I say lucky is you're lucky to be in the hospital you were in with the doctors you had sure. getting the care you received mm -hmm. because the places that. I and Kelvin both went to are probably top 10, if not in the state, top 15 in the country. This is where mm -hmm. it all went down. And, mm -hmm. and that these are the doctors that are now going around the rest of the country, for the most part, doing transplants of hearts, livers, lungs, kidneys. And, and in the success rate is into the high 80s and low 90s on these things. Mm -hmm. And that, and that now, I mean, Kelvin's been here, what, close to 14 years, 15 years mm -hmm. after, yeah. after, get, after getting the transplant and he's living a life like it never happened. And wow. I, I know we got to walk him down this path and I know he wrote the mm -hmm. book and I know he's got to relive these memories and, mm -hmm. and you walk away feeling excellent about it. And, yep. and when you see people and, and, and you go, Oh, I had a heart transplant and they go, Oh, I'm sorry. And you go, sorry. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back into a life that I should have been living. I'm, I, I have a second chance at things yeah. that, that I should be grateful for. And I am. Right. And, right. and, and, and like, I'm only in my third year. And, and I mean, you know, I mean, everything is still aware and awake to me. And uh, just to, I, last week I got catheterized for my third birthday. Do you still get catheterized every other year? Every other year. Every other year. See, so this is, you know, we have things in common. I had my second one on my third year. Mm -hmm. Um, and everything went well. There's, you know, good. my, very my, good. my report is great. I'm on good. very low meds and, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into what I had before, mm -hmm. you know, all this started and, and, you know, I, I'm, I want to move forward, but just, just getting from the darkness of being sick into the present of getting transplanted into the future of living with it is 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 one of the great you know personal stories that people can have well let's talk about this a couple of things i'm going to ask you um when you got your new heart you mentioned at some point in your book there's two things we'll talk about uh fresh air how getting out of the hospital and breathing fresh air was something quite fantastic um quite the thing that, at the time also um, the idea you mentioned that during one of your follow-ups, you ended up having the police see us. You found out you had unpaid ticket. You had an unpaid ticket. That the police see us, pulled you over, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> I had to figure out what word was that. Oh, police see us. Okay, pulled you over. Right, So, 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 thirteen days. I think I walked out. Thirteen days. I think. Uh, it was time, you know, it was finally time to go, um, you know, which that's a whole nother scary thing um, because, 
here you go. You got a gazillion drips behind you. And now you're going to finally walk out with no drips, no tubes, no nothing. Um, I'm still a buck 63, 65. I'm still, you know, frail. But you, you're ready. But there's still like you're still really apprehensive about leaving because you're leaving that comfort area. Whereas like Greg talked, like, like these are these are your people. These are the people that have, you know, if you fall down, they're going to pick you up. If something's too high, they're going to bring it down and all of that. So <clears throat> when we're walking downstairs and I'm ready, I'm ready to go outside. I go outside like it was nothing like, ah, I'm outside. Whoa. And I go back inside. So my wife is like, what's the matter? I'm like, that's that's just too much air. She's like, it's too much air. I'm like, yeah, it was just overwhelming. I, Because I guess I went out and, and I breathed after three months. And it was just too overwhelming. It's almost like you just got to, you know, if you're taking a, taking a drink of water, you don't want to just drink it really, really fast. You just got to sip it, you know, and, and I had to go back. So that was overwhelming, you know, and like I spoke in the book, getting in the back of my truck to go across the George Washington Bridge, that same bridge that the wife and I, we would stand near the elevator. And I remember a patient coming and his tongue was hanging out of his mouth. He had all these drips. He literally looked like someone that had just probably had a heart medicine. And I, and I was like, babe, please, just, can they just put my tongue in my mouth? That looks... <laughs> that, looks, that looks crazy to me. Um, we're, looking at, we're looking at the George Washington Bridge, and I'm dreaming about going back across there. So now I'm going back across the George Washington Bridge. Now I'm tears. You know, this is like reversing. It's like reverse anxiety. You are happy to go across the UW. Yeah, and my daughter's laughing. She's like, "Look at you! You're crying." I'm like, "Hey, you'd have no idea." You really have no, no idea. So, you know, so that's, you know, that's just a, 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 that was just a great, great moment. And now I knew that the work was to begin. And, and you know, Greg, as you know, those, those, those biopsies, I know that they still had to happen. You know, that going in and uh, it's just, you know, that, but, but here I am and I have a, ch I have a chance to regain my life. I have a chance to regain my life, and I'd sign up for that again if this ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only difference between your release and my release was COVID was going on. Mm. And you couldn't really get visitors. You, you, there oh, was wow. everybody was masked up. You couldn't see, even see the faces of the nurses. You mm. couldn't see a lot of things. And, um, my first LVAD pump was at a point where uh, it was November of 2019 and they hadn't figured out or named what COVID even was. Wow. And uh, a year later when I had my, my transplant, COVID was still going on with all the protocols and um, you really couldn't have visitors. You really, uh, there was uh, a lot of apprehension about um, a lot of things. And uh, um, the, um, when, when I got released, uh, it was via ambulance. I was ambulatory, even though mm. I was able to walk and, and, and do everything that, they were literally um, sending me by ambulance because I was still fragile, but I was able to, you know, 
walk. And, and, and it was funny. Uh, uh, the one thing that I learned is never, ever fall down in a hospital. They won't let you out. Really? Yeah, especially if if you get um, they, they always put up little. Well, you almost become liars. like a permanent prisoner. Um, and and this is what like. I was going to say before about fresh air. The the joke that I came up with: what was the difference between uh, a hospital and prison? And the answer is fresh air. Yeah, you mm -hmm. don't get fresh air in a hospital, and at least in a prison, you get an hour a day, and. Um, you uh it was one of the things that that when i was in for the time that i was in um you know a couple of weeks at a at a time that uh being um denied fresh air was something that was always on my mind and and the one other thing when you we were spoken we were talking before about the bells and whistles is the um they don't issue earplugs there isn't one set of earplugs in a hospital. And that would have made the days and weeks seem a lot more, um, you know, uh, uh, dealable. I don't even know if that's a word, but uh, easier to deal with because when these bells and whistles go off for whether it's your IV drip or your, uh, something is loose or something changed and, and it's going on for hours, um, I got to a point where I was testing my uh, sense of pitch by figuring out what all the notes were of all the bells. And uh, that's, uh, that's my two cents was, was that I, I, you, you can't like, you couldn't shut off the, the rings, the bells and the dings, especially in the middle of the night. And, you know, when one nurse is watching, a, you know, a bunch of rooms in the middle of the night, sometimes it's someone's more important than your little bell and whistle. And uh, that's just my two seconds. But um, just just moving along, this is one thing that we, we haven't talked about, Kelvin, is mm -hmm. after the transplant and you're a, a decade and a half out of it, what's it like? What is it? What is it that's going on that you're leading this life of, of post transplant success? And, um, you know, I know that's not in the book and, mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's one of the things I want to hear about is how's your diet? How's your exercise? How's your, you look great. Thank, thank you. You, you thank, look thank you. great. I don't know when the book was published, but uh, you look as good or better than the book. Nah, that was, uh, 2010. I think the book was, uh, 2010. Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there was a lot of Starbucks. A lot of Starbucks, a lot of Dunkin' Donuts when I was writing. Um, <laughs> you, know, yeah, you write, you may write like 100,000 words and then eventually it's going to get cut down to about 65,000. But um, so I want to, what's, what's, what's really pressing is I remember the doctor saying like, look, live your life. Let us worry about everything else. Live your life. Let us worry about everything else. Right. You're going to probably get little things here and there. We're going to tweak medicines. Right. Your heart's going to probably be the, the, the last thing standing. There's going to be things that come down that trust me, but your heart is probably going to be the last thing standing. I didn't really remember that until I want to share this and we'll go backwards. Um, 
you know, my PSA went up last year. Okay. And um, I, I was that was scary because they, you know, obviously, you know, prostate, prostate. Explain, explain to, explain to just the viewers what, what the PSA actually stands for. It, I, I yeah. definitely yeah. want to ask a question. Sure. sure. Did you see it on your my chart, or did they bring it up to you? Brought it up to me. Brought it up to me because there were symptoms going. There were symptoms as far as you know, um, you know, as far as having a problem like urinating, and okay. uh, you know. So I went to a urologist, and uh, we started that whole thing. Uh, you know, PSA uh, pro something serum antigen. I can't remember the actual acronym. It's but, a protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's a it, it's mm -hmm. a protein. Yeah, I something like that. It's in my chart. I saw it last week. Okay, so now. Of course, if you go zero to 10, zero being the best, 10 being the, you know, hey, you gotta, got something's gotta happen. Uh, so when I got a hold, it ended up being a four. And the doctor said, well, this could be this, it could be that. And then he wanted to get, um, want to get it biopsied. So now, Greg, we know what the whole biopsy thing is, right? Yeah. We're fearful of biopsies, right? So now this biopsy is different. Okay. This biopsy is like a biopsy there is. <laughs> this is a whole other type of biopsy. This actually through your rectum to go into the prostate. That was blown away, but that's how you get the, that's how you get the, 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 the sure, let's say number, right? And they're going to take 12 samples. So that same... Go in, numb, numb it, it, take oh, 12 oh, samples. Yeah, yeah. It, it should make it clean. Yeah. So come to find out, you know, it, it, let's say, actually, actually, it was two Septembers ago. We finally did it. It's medieval. And you don't get me to your long ass. Totally, totally medieval. But, all fiction. But three samples of 12 were cancerous. So they, so they, 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 they do, do a thing to where they say nine were benign and three were three were was it malignant? Um, whichever the one that's yeah, now in Spanish would be bad. Bad. Now, okay. Malignant, bad, what was benign, malignant. Okay. Or right. So they but they're saying because you know, prostate cancer is slow moving, right? It doesn't move in months. You know, sometimes you know, it doesn't move in months. Usually it'll move in years. So I'm like, okay. I know I'm immunosuppressed. So let's say that's September. Come November, I get another PSA, and it's, I think it's over five. So now it's still going. All right. We do another one, and it's getting closer to nine, I think, in March. And then that's when I left the same situation. I left Rockland County, and I went down into the city where they do no more numbers. And I saw a man, and uh, then we went through a whole lot of things. And he said, you know what? Don't know, Don't why, know it's why it's moving this fast, fast but in my professional opinion, opinion, you need to just get it out. You need to just get it out. And did another did another biopsy that was six out of twelve. So I'm like, you know, all these biopsies are going up your. So I did two. I did two. Okay. I did two. One in September, and I think one in March. Right. The first one said three out of twelve. The second one said six out of twelve. Right. So I was and ready. They were medicating like, hey. along the way and trying to yeah. reduce the size yeah. and 
the, the first one, the first one, because you don't know what you're up against. You know, you're just super tense. The second one, dare I say, was better. Super tense. You know, right. I'm, I'm going to be calling my team about my result on my PSA because no one said nothing. No, and, no. Um, and, and the fact that they didn't say anything is probably a good thing, Greg. You know, no, I, I hear you, but now I'm listening to you. So, sure. you know, and, and that's why we, especially men, we need to talk about this. No, I understand. I, right. I, I, I just want to ask you as a side note, did you become like, um, I'm not going to use this word, but deep into your my chart and all the tests and all the numbers and, and, and they tell you not to look at it and they tell you not to worry. And like you read your doctor's notes really? and you read your after. They, they, they tell you not to look at it. Cause I was always, well, told it's not that they tell you to not to. Is, is, it, it's what Kelvin said. Go lead your life and we'll worry about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm right. saying? Because every now and then like, like, okay, here, here's, here's a personal question. So when you get, when you get all these blood tests, do you watch your white blood cell count? Um, I, I listen to what I, I listen to what they say and I, I glance at it or whatever, but I don't really worry about whether it you're high they, or you're low. It's not even relevant. It doesn't matter because mm -hmm. if it was an issue, they would tell you. There you go. There you go. And and that's what I deal with. And they look at me and they go, because I'm looking at the numbers and I'm reading the numbers and these doctors, because you see other doctors and and especially the the trainees and the assistants and the techs, and they said, Well, the doctors really just go by the numbers. And and you start looking at your numbers and like, well, this number is always really low and this number is always in the middle and this number always seems high. And mm -hmm. they're looking at me and they're going, you know, Mr. Weiss, your cholesterol, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I'm going, well, you know, it can does diet change that? And they go, well, you know, it's all subjective. And I said, so mm -hmm. if it's at that number, I guess I'm okay. It's not double. It's not half. Right. I wish it was half, right. but I don't have this, this luck of, of genetic low cholesterol. Sure, sure. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you, Greg. So this is our last question. So, um, Kelvin, what would you tell men in particular out there if they feel like anything is slightly off? as far as shortness of breath or or just breathing and just anything is slightly off i don't care what it is but if as far as it pertains to the heart what would you tell them out there go get checked um go get checked because it doesn't have to be a death sentence it doesn't have to be a death sentence but if you get too far you get too too far behind something right you get too far behind anything really then that could you know that could really really be a, a major problem for you go get checked what is it really what it's going to be a copay for some and and guess what the people that don't have insurance it's worth, it's worth whatever money that is to go get it checked out because yeah clearly clearly you can continue to live a life if uh you know you get ahead of it and uh hey it doesn't have to be a death sentence is we as men i know that we most of us are programmed to just ride it out things will get better go get checked go get checked i'm one of those yeah, I agree. It's like, oh, trust me, we're one of Now, I also yeah. want you to tell the police story quickly. Oh, oh then we're the police story. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, because so this is a happened. very unique thing that he actually, <laughs> what, um, what I read in the book. It, 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 it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, look, I was, I was, let's say, it was that May, something like May 3rd, I came home, right? So now, July. I'm about to take my first ride 
driving and all down to um to get a checkup to go get a checkup uh, my truck i had cleaned it the day before wow i'm feeling good i can drive now and uh, going down the palisades i get pulled over and i didn't think i was speeding i thought i was within range of everyone else uh pulls me over and uh license registration i said no problem officer i said uh you know, so where are you off to? I said, I'm actually off to Columbia Presbyterian. Um, I just had a heart transplant. All of my my papers and everything was right beside me because uh, you got a pamphlet that you 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 got you to take to your team. I said, it's all right there. Uh, he said, okay. He said, uh, came back. He said, yeah. Did you know you had a ticket back in 1990s? I said, I did not. It's all right. All right. I'm going to ask you to step out of the car. I said, uh, okay, no problem. Again, I just had a heart transplant. Things are still healing, officer. It's like, so, you know, I just want you to make, just want you to know that I'm getting out. And he said, oh, hands behind you. I said, I said again. <laughs> you know, literally, things are sewn together and it's still healing. Officer, are you willing to take this on? He said, yeah. So uh, he was nice a nice guy, guy but he was still yes, yeah, CKD to me. Casual dick cop. Come to the CDC. CDC, casual dick cop. So come to find out it was a parking ticket from who knows how long ago. We ran around the corner, paid it, you know, but yes, my hands were behind my back. I, I, I went because I didn't want anything to break in here. And uh Brought me back to my truck, went to my appointment. I will be a bit late, but well, you made it. But I made it, and just like Greg will tell you, I look at things differently because I literally stared death in the face. So what is this to me? Sure, sure. What is this to me? You know, this is he, he's an a-hole. You know, but guess what? Pay the ticket. I, I probably it's probably my ticket. But you got to keep moving on and and, and, you know, even, even at good news, bad news, you just, you carry that, that even tempo. Well, you don't want to stress yourself, especially after, uh, after you had your whole chest cracked open and they replaced it with some young man's heart. How old is the guy? How old is it? How old is your guy? 21 year old from Ohio. Ohio. Yes. What was his nationality? That they don't tell you. They don't tell now, you. It's time for me to write another letter because, you know, I wrote a letter earlier. I, I, I was I was going to ask you about this yeah. too. So oh, you yeah. haven't met. You haven't been in contact. It's time to do another letter. It's time yeah. because at that time they were probably mourning and they probably, you know, really. You should follow what nationality because see if you can do a 23 and me to find out. That. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I'm going to officially tell I'm you this. Curious to know. Listen. Let's, I'm, let's I'm going to officially was, tell you. Let's, let's you, the you, Irish. Then, you, you, you may have a second <laughs> organ, but you don't have double the chromosomes. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's say all of a sudden your DNA change. Like, like all of a sudden, let's get this kid's an Irish kid from Ohio, skateboarder. Right, it won't show up. You think that one morning, one morning he'll be able to wake up skateboarding? <laughs> right. Like, I just got this real strong like, opinion. Yeah, I love skateboarding. He's right. like, Mom, yeah, tells his wife, can you make some, like, uh, what's a good Irish meal? <laughs> Um, I have to look into it. I have to look into it. I have to look into it. See if I was right. on horse skateboarding. Thank you very much for being on our podcast. 
Thank you, Kelvin. Once again, author of The Unlikely Candidate, the, uh, the, the Journey of a Heart Transplant Patient. Look at that. Look at that. Look at the before and after. <laughs> available on Amazon. Are you looking for something? Amazon. Yep. We're, we're, we're going to pick this up again soon, maybe yes, after football season. And yep. we just there's so much to talk about between oh, yeah. your experience, what's going on here, you know, and um, you know, you'll keep us in touch if you write that letter. Um, I, will. I will. I showed Anthony Thanks. that that when we were starting this show that uh, I had pulled out a letter from uh, the mother of my donor Mm -hmm. and I had realized it had been about six months, seven months since I sent a letter and uh, I did. And I reached out with all my information and in New York state, because my donor's in New York, but you know, you dealt with the, with the network. You don't Mm -hmm. even know if the letter is going to go out. They don't even update you. So it it may be three, four months before she even gets this letter. So I'm, I'm, you know, but I'm in any event, you, you, you're going to feel better yeah. when you do it. And and it right. was one of the things that I said to Anthony was, I, I've already spent two and a half years trying to forget this, but I'm not going to forget, you know, who my donor was. I'm not going to forget. And I, I I pull out the letter and there's a picture mm-hmm. and uh, I I know who she is because when when you got your when you got your gift and you didn't even if you got a letter from your you know your donor family there wasn't really the technology today no and when when i found out about six months to a year after i mean it was minutes before i actually knew who these people were and um I haven't. I haven't crossed the line. I followed the rules. I'm sticking with the New York donor network, right. which is incredible. Sure. And then and then a Facebook group started of the people in my transplant uh, history from the hospital. And there's like 40 people in it. And I saw pictures of uh, donors who got donors before me. And I mm-hmm. decided that I'm going to reach out. Right. I have yeah. another cool. family. This is right. what I know. All right, everyone, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Just, just has to run. See you next week. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank thanks you very much. And thanks, thanks Kevin. I appreciate you for taking more time. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Take man. Take care.